Khalid leads our seniors, uh, our, our high school seniors, and he got to baptize one of those guys, Jonathan Taylor. It was a great experience. Khalid's going to be the, the guy who preaches this morning, tell you a little bit about him. I'm going to pray for him and then turn it over. Cleet's a directional elder. He's been a directional elder since 2017. Um, when we think about directional elder, what that means here at Radius is that there are six locations. You're at Radius Lexington. We have Irmo, Saluda, downtown we call Southside, Centerville and Gilbert, uh, White Knoll down the road and us. And our directional elders help lead that group, what we call our family of churches. And Cleet's been doing that since 2017. He's been a partner here at Radius since 2011. So you got 10 years here. It's awesome. He's got a family, Carrie Cordero. You'll see her sometimes in the, the preschool wing, loving on our preschoolers. He's got three great kids or two of them are great. One of them's okay. Um, uh, <clears throat> Ainsley, who's at Clemson, Braden, who's at Anderson and Carson, who is a, going to be a junior at River Bluff. Uh, we love that family. My first exposure with Cleet was he invited me to this thing called Lunch and, Lunch and Grow at Southeastern. That's where he works. He said, hey, I want you to come check it out. So I go and I get up in their conference room and 200 employees of Southeastern come and um, he brings in prominent pastors once a quarter to present the gospel at Southeastern. And then when they're not doing that, he's They've created this small group culture where they're, they're studying God's word at Southeastern. It's really pretty cool. Like when we think about embodying radius, the idea that you own where you live, work, and play, man, Cleet's done a, a fantastic job of that. So I'm excited for you to get to hear from him today. I'm going to pray for you, and then it's all yours. You. Oh, Father, we, uh, we come to you just, number one, it's just an honor to come and to, to sing your praise, to make much of you. It's an honor to, to be a part of baptism on Wednesday. It's, um, it's just, it really truly is an honor because we don't deserve this. We, we, we clearly are separated from you, but you love us and you sent your son to die for us. And, and because of that, we're able to study your word. We're able to pray to you. We're able to take communion. We're able to do all of these things. We're able to have new life. So thank you. We owe it all to you. And so, Lord, as we just take a moment and, and just look at your word and, and, and want to hear from you, as we've prayed every Sunday, Holy Spirit, we want you to be the better teacher. Um, speak to our hearts as only you can. Praying for Cleet right now, you give him clarity, and, and I pray for us that our hearts would be open to hear from you. Lord, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Russell and I meet maybe once a month, once every other month, and we'll meet for lunch at Chili's. It's close to me, and about two months ago at this lunch, Russell asked me, he said, Cleet, would you give the message on a Sunday in July? And I'm not sure why I said yes, and it didn't hit me until I got back in the car to drive to the office. I said, I think I just agreed to something that really didn't know what I agreed to. <laughs> well, then it hit me even more because that night I go home, and we're sitting around the dinner table and carrying the kids. And I tell them, I said, Russell asked me to speak one Sunday. There's really no response. Everybody kept eating. And I said, maybe they didn't hear me. So I said, Russell asked me to speak in a different tone. I think Carrie said, yeah, we heard you. And Braden spoke up and said, are you giving an announcement or talking about youth or something? And I said, no, Russell wants me to give the message. And the next response was Braden said, so that means Russell's not speaking? And I said... <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, I get to give the message. Again, with excitement, but the next, Braden said again. So again, 
That means Russell's not speaking that morning. So, Russell, I do tell you, thank you as a father, genuine. I'm sure there's a lot of other people in this room. As a father, it's awesome to know that my kids genuinely get disappointed when you're not up here. So, um, I do want to tell you, thank you as a father, because it means a lot. But I am excited today to speak on our Resilient Series. We've been going through it all summer. We've been studying characters in the Bible who live out being resilient. If you remember, we looked at Queen Esther and how she go, had to go before the king on behalf of her people. And then Russell talked to us about Hannah and how her resilient prayers led back to her receiving a child. And Jonathan, remember him and how he was resilient in his relationship with King David. And then last week we learned when Jeremy spoke of um, Elijah, how he had to be resilient to go in front of the king and 850 prophets. Before we jump into who we're going to look at today, I'd like to show you our mission statement, just to remind you who we try to be at Radius. So if we can put our mission statement up on the screen. Radius Church exists to glorify God by making disciples, planting churches, and living generously. i show you this because the person we're going to look at today, if we had to pick one person and put on the Wall of Radius and said, that's our mascot. What mascot could we pick out of the Bible to be Radius? I believe that would be Barnabas. You're going to see today how we go through Scripture, how we're going to see, I believe, Barnabas lives out our mission statement. A few weeks ago, I guess about a month ago, Carrie and I had the opportunity, went to a Braves game in Atlanta. And as the Braves game was on uh, Friday, so we left. We're actually going with John and Cheryl. We're meeting Lynn and Laurie at the game and... Um, that day. So we leave my house and we go to pick up John and Cheryl. And before we pull into John and Cheryl's driveway, um, Lynn and Laurie sent us a text. And they said, hey, we're leaving Lexington. Hope you have a safe trip. Well, Carrie's comment was, well, wasn't that sweet of Lynn and Laurie to reach out to us and tell us to have a safe trip? And probably like most guys in the room, when I saw the text, I interpreted it a different way. I said, no, I think they're saying we're leaving and we're kind of daring you to see if you can beat us. So when I go to pick up John, and John's just like me, my mindset, unless there's food involved, we're not stopping until we get to Truist Field in Atlanta. And Carrie and Cheryl, get, Carrie gets in the back of the truck, and Cheryl get back, gets back, and they talk. Well, the first few miles are as we're driving, and I think it was on purpose. John and I really couldn't hear what Carrie and Cheryl were talking about. They talked in a tone where he couldn't hear them, and again, I believe that was on purpose. But all of a sudden, by we got close to Aiken, their volume changes. Now they want us to hear them. Now the language is, I hear, Carrie, have you ever been to Aiken? They got some really neat shops in Aiken. Don't you think it'd be fun to stop in Aiken? And again, the, vo the tone was they wanted to make sure John and I could hear it. No response from the front. Get to Augusta. Same thing again. I think Carrie, now they're reversing roles. Cheryl, have you ever been down to Augusta? Have you been down to the Riverwalk and there's some neat restaurants and wouldn't it be fun to pull off? John, I may have not been the smartest thing. We're acting like we don't hear them. And it continues. And I thought that was the end of it. We get near a city called Covington, Georgia, and I hear, I hear about how there's some great coffee shop on the square in Covington. But again, we don't stop. The sad part of the story, Lynn and Laurie did beat us there, and so I had to live with that that day. Um, but I tell you that story because as we study Barnabas today, it's going to be a lot like that trip to Atlanta. We're going to be going through almost the whole book of Acts, and we're just going to be talking about different events. We're not going to stop and camp at any one of them. We're going to be moving to learn who Barnabas was. And today, 
as we talk, I do want to, I guess, a disclaimer. This message is really for our partners. Because when I talk about the mission statement at Radius, it's for partners. It's who we strive to be. If you're a guest and you're not a partner at Radius, it is, Russell reminded me, this is still a great message because you're going to get the opportunity today to see who Radius strives to be. We're going to start today, if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles in Acts chapter 4. And we're first going to see our man Barnabas as he pops up in Scripture. We're going to, let me paint the picture of what's going on in Acts. Jesus has ascended into heaven. If you remember the day of Pentecost, uh, 3,000 people got saved. And then a little while later, remember Peter spoke at Solomon's colonnade, and he was arrested that day, and the Bible says 5,000 more came to Christ. So where we're at in the history of the church, the church is exploding in Jerusalem. Believers, there's many being added. So let's see where Barnabas pops up on the scene. In Acts chapter 4, we're going to look at 32 through 37. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed, distributed to anyone as they had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. It's the first time we learn or hear of Barnabas in the Scripture. You'll notice some facts about him. His real name's Joseph. But because of what we're seeing here in Scripture where he sells his field, gives up his uh, money, and brings it to the apostles, his name from here on out in Scripture, he will be referred to as Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. During this time, it was really, it was unheard of, of a Jewish male to sell their land, to give up their land. A lot of times your land was passed down through your ancestry, so it would have been his family's land. A lot of times some of your ancestors would have been buried on your land. And then even a bigger thing during the time, your status was tied to your land ownership. So for Barnabas to give up his land, bring the money to the church, this is a big deal. This is not easy. The definition of resilient means be, be able to withstand difficult conditions. Being generous is not easy. And we see that with Barnabas. It's not easy to, be, to live generous like our mission statement says. It's not easy. So we have to ask, as partners, are we living out that part of the mission statement where it talks about living generous? Being an elder, one of the things we do, and I don't, I don't know if I'd use the language that we get to do as much as we have to do each year, is we go through the budget. And we'll go through the budget. There's a responsibility with the elder group that we want to make sure that for the next year, what our family of churches spends does not exceed what we plan to take in. And so we'll work through the budget. And this happened a year and a half ago. We were meeting on a Wednesday night, and we're going through the budget. It was getting late in the night. And, at that, and I remember we were $250,000 short in the budget. Now, let me explain what that means. That means if you took what we were forecasting for the next year, we were planning to spend... $250,000 more than what we were going to bring in. And again, our, our responsibility is to get that to zero. And so we left that night. It was getting late, and we made it ask, 
we asked John and Russell and Jerry, our executive pastor, can you go back and when you work on it, because we got to figure out how do we take $250,000 out of the budget. And so the idea is they would spend the next few days, a week if most, and then we were going get, to get, get back together that next Wednesday night to figure out can we try to balance the budget. Well, that next day at lunch, it was a Thursday, and at lunch my phone goes off and I look down, it's John. And when I answered, he said, got great news, we got the budget finished. John probably despises the budget and details as much as anybody I know. So for him to say that, um, I didn't know if he was joking, cutting up. But when he called me, I said, there's no way. He said, Cleet, we got it balanced. He said, cancel the meeting next week, and if you're good with it, we're going to go ahead and put out the budget. And I said, what happened? And let me back up. Before John gives the answer, let me take the reason it's hard at Radius to balance the budget is because as partners, and if you remember the mission statement says, Radius Church exists to glorify God by living generous. The reason it's hard at Radius to balance the budget is because the first 30% that comes in, whether through the black boxes or through giving, Radius Church gives away. So the first 30% that comes in is immediately goes back out. And so before we worry about replacing carpet or patching holes next door, even trying to hire more staff, we got to take the number and immediately remove 30%. So that's, kind of, that's an, um, almost a line we're not crossing. We give 30% away, and then we worry about the budget. So when John called me and said, we've got the budget figured out, I really didn't know what he meant. He said, well, we spent all morning, and he said, we took out $100,000. And my next comment to John said, yeah, John, but... We're $250,000 short. You still got $150,000 left. He said, yeah, but Cleet, we were, and he was so excited to tell this, and he said, we're getting ready to go to lunch, and he said, we were going to stop. We've been praying that we needed to come up with another $150,000, and he said, we were just pulling our hair out. He said, so we wanted to stop. He said, before we walked out of the building to go to lunch, he said, Jerry gets a text on his phone, and on his phone, he got a message from the office that somebody just walked in the office and gave a gift of $150,000. And I tell you that because it, there's, and we don't remember, we're going to be going fast today. There's story after story like that. But for me, it is amazing to know the same God that's helping get that church started in Jerusalem, the same God that's helping us get going in Lexington. And that's really an overwhelming thought. So, we see now Barnabas living generous. Remember, he sold his land, gave up his status, and gave the money to the church. Let's look. Remember, there's two other parts of our mission statement. Now let's jump ahead in the story to see how does Barnabas go about making disciples. The church is taken off, and this is making the Jewish leaders mad. So we're going to jump forward a little bit in the story. Where we're at, Stephen had just been stoned. You remember the story Stephen had been stoned? And the coolest part of that story to me, it says when Stephen was stoned, his face shone like an angel because he's staring at heaven. So Stephen has just been stoned. If you will, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. And we're going to read chapters one and, verses 1 and 3 to see what happens next. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles are scattered throughout Judea, Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. The believers are scattered, right? They're scared of Paul. The Bible says that he's going through. He's dragging them off and putting them in prison. 
And so you can follow along if you're fine with. For the rest of today, because we're going to be going through a lot of chapters and you'll see the name interchangeable, I'll refer to Saul as Paul because that's really how we know him. So Paul's dragging off um, Christians, uh, killing them. We see what happened to Stephen. He's putting him in prison. Saul takes off to Damascus. If you remember stories a few weeks ago, uh, Russell preached on this. On the way to Damascus, Paul encounters Christ. He goes blind, goes into Damascus. Um, he gets baptized and regains his sight. And the Bible says that he's going around, he's spending time with the believers in Damascus. Now what Paul did is what's hap- what happened, what Paul was doing is now happening to him. The, believers, the Jewish leaders in Damascus want to kill Paul. So now all Paul knows to do is flee back to his hometown. So Paul's now headed back to Jerusalem. The problem we see, though, is there's no social media. There's no Instagram, no what, uh, Twitter. There's no videos to show of the baptism like we had Wednesday night. We're in the middle of the city. Everybody could see it. And probably by that next night, I came to work at Southeastern on Thursday morning, and some people I had no clue said, hey, We heard about the baptism last night at Radius. We saw pictures on Facebook. There was none of that. So when Paul comes back to Jerusalem, he's coming back as the person that is murdering and killing Christians. Jump with me to Acts chapter 9. Let's see what Paul encounters. We're going to be in verses 26 and 28. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Barnabas becomes the bridge. And isn't that cool to know that one of the probably the most famous, well-known names in the New Testament is because Barnabas becomes a bridge between Paul and the disciples. Barnabas is the one that brings him there. Verse 27, if you look at it, let me read it again. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul in his journey had seen the Lord and how the Lord had spoken to him. It's easy to read verses 26, 27, 28 and just read it very quick. Verse 27 doesn't just happen. When you read that, Barnabas knew the story of Saul. He knew what he went through. He had to know enough about him to go vouch to him to the apostles. Verse 27 doesn't just happen. Verse 27 happened because Barnabas spent time making a disciple with Paul. He spent time sitting across from him, um, breaking bread with him, getting to know his story. The only way he could vouch for him is he had to know who he was. So we already know that Barnabas was generous. Now we see Barnabas making a disciple. And partners, isn't that cool? That's really what we should be known for at Radius, going out and becoming a bridge, making disciples to others that people will not. So when you see that in Barnabas' story, it's just its so neat to know that's really what Radius Church wants to be known for. We need to ask ourselves as partners, who are we discipling? Who are we being a Barnabas to? Remember the beginning of the summer, we got the dominoes and we wrote names on them? Maybe it's somebody on the domino. Maybe it's somebody like Paul that no one wants anything to do with. Remember, part of our mission statement is to make disciples. 
after spending some time with the apostles, Paul, Paul goes to Tarsus because the same thing that happened to him in Damascus where people are now trying to kill him, it's happening in Jerusalem. So Paul flees, he goes to Tarsus. Now let's see what Barnabas is left to do because his friend that he discipled has left. Now we're going to jump forward a few chapters to Acts chapter 11. We're going to be in verses 19 and 24. Now those who have been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Behind Rome and Alexandria, Antioch was the largest city in the Roman Empire. It was known, if you study history, it was known for its chariot racing, gambling, prostitution. So this wouldn't have, for Barnabas to have the ass of going to Antioch and help plant a church, it wasn't easy. Also, so you say, well, the Bible says there's some believers there. So that had to be easy, right? During this time, the believers are also involved in a theological debate. Because the Bible says, now the gospel is reaching some of the Greeks. So you had the Jews trying to impress some of the old rules on the Greeks. Not only the believers were in theological debate, so when Barnabas goes... He's having to be resilient. He's having to overcome difficult conditions. It was not easy. Studying this was really neat for me because I think Russell made it, you know, he told you I've been here since 2011. And to think of all the Barnabases that have sat in these red chairs and right now this exact moment are sitting out in Saluda, Centerville, down the road at White Knoll, across the lake at Irmo, Southside, they started here. And I'm sure those that Barnabas's quote-unquote, it would have been easy for them to stay here in Lexington. It would have been easy for them to stay where they knew people, where their kids knew people in the uh, nursery or children's department. But those people came Barnabas's and went, and now look at all the locations. Just like we've seen at some of our campuses, any good leader... Once something takes off, once our campus takes off and grows, any good leader knows they need help. So Barnabas, now in the story, needs to go find help for his church in Antioch. So let's read the next two verses, if you're still in chapter 11, 25 and 26. Let's see who Barnabas goes to get, get to help him. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Isn't that cool? The one that he discipled, Barnabas, he goes and gets his buddy Paul. He says, Paul, come back to Antioch and help me plant this church. And the Bible says there's a great number of people coming to know the Lord. Some facts, which really is neat because we can trace radius here in Lexington, almost really can point back to Antioch. Antioch is the first uh, Gentile church that was planted. So that's really who we are. We can point back to Antioch. Antioch was the first city that believers were called Christians. 
So Paul and Barnabas have a big hand in getting the church started. If you read a little further, we're not, but if you read a little further, you will see where Jerusalem, during this time that Antioch's flourishing, there's a famine in Jerusalem. They're going through a drought, and the Bible says the church was in economic need in Jerusalem. If you read a little further, it talks about where, where, where Paul and Barnabas were able to leave Antioch, take a financial gift, and take it back to the church in Jerusalem. So now the church plant is helping Jerusalem, which is neat. Remember a while ago we talked about the budget and the $150,000 that just came in? Would you be shocked if I told you that it came in from a campus outside Lexington, back to help the Lexington campus? Again, the same God that is working in Antioch and Jerusalem is working in our city. It's just, we want to make sure we don't miss it. Paul and Barnabas are at the church in Antioch. They go back, they take the gift, they go back to Antioch and now let's jump ahead two chapters in Acts chapter 13. Let's see what Paul and Barnabas are up to next. So if you'll turn to Acts 13, verses 2 and 3. While they were there worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. First mission journey... It started from Antioch, not Jerusalem. So we see here Paul and Barnabas going on their mission journey. And if we can, I believe we have a map of the mission journey I want to show you because I want to make one point of it. This is their first missionary journey. You can see where they leave Antioch and they go down to Cyprus. Look almost where it says Galatia, you'll see a city called Lystra. I want to pull out something specific that happens in Lystra that to me was really neat. If you turn over one more chapter in Acts chapter 14, jump down to verse 11. When the, cro the crowd saw what Paul had done, they had shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was a chief speaker. The priests of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates, and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out in the crowd, shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. We see here in Lystra, they thought they were gods. Paul had just healed somebody, and so they were calling them gods. They were calling them Paul Hermes and Barnabas Zeus. That's a neat part of the story to me because Zeus is considered the chief god of all the in Greek mythology. So if you'd have asked me prior to studying about Barnabas, I would have said, Paul's the leader and Barnabas is just going around. I bet if you're like me and you turn in the back of your Bible... Probably majority of you have got these maps. And it says Paul's first missionary journey. Paul's second missionary journey. We learned so much about Paul. The people in Lystra are calling Barnabas Zeus. So that shows me Barnabas had to be the leader. So it's just cool that he's not wanting the glory. He's not wanting anything. He's wanting to help Paul to succeed. And that's who now, 2,000 years later, we're learning about or we read so much about. In Lystra, you see it down here that 
the people now, they believe they're gods. They come out, and they're trying to offer sacrifices to them. And the Bible says Paul and Barnabas, out of grief and sorrow and despair, are tearing their clothes, almost in mourning to say, no, not us. It's God. It's God who did that. Can we put, I hope I don't mess anybody up, can we put the mission statement up one more time? Radish Church exists to glorify who? God. See now Barmas is going all the way back. We've seen him live generous. We've seen him make a disciple. We've seen him go off and plant churches. And once he's done all that, now it's, and what it is, it's Satan trying to say, hey, we're going to give you all the glory. We're going to build you up. What do they do? They, no, not us. It's the God who did all this. So there's the first part of our mission statement. It exists to glorify God. I've heard it say over and over from this stage, radius should be known to make the name of Jesus famous in our city. Not the name of radius, but the name of Jesus. That's what they're doing here. If you read down, there's more to this story. There's a, uh, the second missionary journey. They're, they want to take Mark, and Barnabas actually ends up taking his cousin Mark, and he disciples him. So we learn today that Barnabas, probably somebody that we is not mentioned a ton in Scripture, was instrumental in discipling two of the most well-known writers in the New Testament, in Paul and Mark. Barnabas shows us as partners that sooner or later, true obedience to God is going to involve being resilient and involving risk. As partners, we have to ask ourselves, are you being generous as Barnabas was? Are you making a disciple? And that's a, these are easy questions because either yes or no. Are you making a disciple? Are you helping to plant churches? When you walked in today and you all got the survey, and it's a survey that we gave out to our partners maybe a month, month and a half ago just to kind of gauge some metrics, and when we get the survey back, we hand it out to the partners or hand it out to everybody. On the, I guess you can consider it page one, Survey results, it says, how many of you would be willing to go plant a church? How many of you will be willing to be like Barnabas and go plant a church somewhere else? And the number on here is 45%. That's really, to me, incredible. But I want to highlight that number because the other 55%, you may not be called to go plant a church. Your calling to live at our mission statement might be to go help keep two-year-olds on a Sunday morning. So that young couple that God's got in mind to send to the next Antioch or send to the next campus can come in here and worship and get ready to go plant a church. It might be serving somewhere else, greeting somebody, so you can open the door. So when one of these 45% comes in our door, they feel welcomed, and they learn how do we serve so they can go to the next campus and try to serve. So again, are you living generous? Are you making disciples? Are you helping plant churches in the main focus to glorify God? Let us pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for giving us a great example. And Lord, it's not a secret to me or it's not a mystery that you don't leave out the last part of Acts. And you put that story in there about Lystra, which really does not have a lot of bearing, but you put the story in there about Lystra to show that even after they do everything you asked, and people try to give them the glory. Paul and Barnabas 
step back in a big way and say, no, not us, but God. They don't want any glory. Lord. So I pray that as we try to live generous, as we try to make disciples and plant churches at Radius, you help us remember so hard that first part of our mission statement. It is to glorify you. In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.